just to understand better who God is, to better understand our relationship with him, what he's accomplished, um, and really to, to know him better in such a way that it just overflows out of us and into the world around us. And like, that's what we mean when we talk about 24-7 worship, yeah. Yeah. right? Like that's, that's the kind of the crux of 24-7 worship is that it's not, you're not thinking about it. It's just, it's happening because you're living in awe and, and wonder and, um, and you're just living your life in worship. Hello, hello. Welcome back. New episode to the No Greater Joy podcast, episode 33, and brought to you by the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church, because we want for our people what Jesus wants for his people, and that's to know greater joy. And we can know greater joy by stepping into the areas that bring no greater joy uh, for God's people, being a 24-7 worshiper, a go-person, and an alongsider. Happy to be with you. My name is Steve Strong, lead pastor here at Grace, across the table, my partner in crime, Ryan Atkins, the associate pastor here at Grace. We're blameless partner in crime. Thank you. I appreciate that. that. And then, uh, again, a huge thanks to Dan Kraniak, member here at Grace, our producer, Dan the Man, the tech genius, making this whole thing just frankly work. So thank you, Dan. Uh, We're continuing our look at theology proper, and uh, we have answered some questions about who God is. Does he exist? How does he exist? And uh, we're answering a question, well, what is, what, what's, what is God like? What are his attributes? And so the episode prior to this, we were looking at his incommunicable attributes. And right now we want to talk about his communicable attributes. But Ryan, remind us what in the world are these two categories? What are, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so it's just a way of kind of organizing our thoughts and really these attributes of God split into these two categories, these characteristics that he, he you know, he is, um, the, his divine nature, you know, is <clears throat> these attributes are inseparable from his being, but for us to wrap our minds around it better, it helps to put them into two categories. One being incommunicable. Um, those that are his alone that he doesn't share with, um, anybody or anything. And then his communicable attributes, which are those that he shares, um, that we essentially share with him as image bearers and um, some as his people. And so um, those that are not solely his, but that he shares in part or whole uh, with humanity. Yep. And, uh, you know, we, we're trying not to, in talking about these things, be satisfied with a sense of just kind of knowing about God. Yes. Because there's a way of, like in the incommunicable ones, he's holy, the omnis, the omnipresence, omnipotent, omniscient. Like we can know those things about him uh, because he's made those things known to us about him in Scripture. Uh, but we want them not just to be, well, we know about, but we know. Like this is this is who he is. This is how we know him. And who he is impacts us. You know, that would be... Like in any other human relationship that we have, it's not just knowing about perhaps our spouse, but knowing them, there's certain qualities and attributes about the person actually come to bear and impact the way we live our lives. And Mm -hmm. that is our aim in kind of working through these attributes because how God is, what he is like, 
has a massive impact on how we live our lives yeah uh, and how we respond to events and that is the case with these communicable attributes you know the incommunicable i can't be all powerful i can't be everywhere present at all times you know i don't know all things so we're limited um but in the in the case of these attributes not only do we need to know them like god is these things and it's comforting and reassuring and hopeful for us but the fact like this first one he's holy not only do we just need to know that he's holy but these are the character qualities the attributes that need to be in our lives and so he's holy so we need to be holy he's righteous we need to be righteous and he is the model and the definition of it so my holiness needs to be like his holiness and so the first one is as i've just been saying he's holy <laughs> all right and so this is a really an important quality about who god is because if you think about an all powerful ever present all knowing god if that being is not holy that is a terrifying thought you know and so what does it mean to be holy um well in a couple different ways he is unique and distinct so think about it in one way he's holy other holy distinct but he is also holy pure and so a couple of those passages that illustrate both being holy other completely separate and unique and distinct but also separate from sin and being holy pure the holy other ones isaiah chapter 6 uh, Isaiah is being called to being a prophet, and he is confronted with the greatness of God, and uh, he describes it, um, the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe is filling the temple, and above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, and there's this call bouncing back and forth between the seraphim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Holiness in the sense that he is completely other, distinct, separate, greater, more magnificent. Who is little Isaiah? And Isaiah recognizes, like, who am I? Like, I, woe is me for being in the presence and really the same type of scene is repeated and echoed in Revelation chapter 4. The four living creatures, again, six wings, eyes all around, within and without, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Again, holy other, like he is completely distinct and separate. God is not one of us. Uh, Mormon theology, it will say, as God is, I might become, and as I am, God once was. Like He's one. Like God is not one of us. No, nope. He's holy in the sense He's completely other. Um, Exodus chapter fifteen. God is distinct from all other lower G gods. Who is like you, O Lord, among all the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, um, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So. Um, he's holy other, his holiness, the distinction. Habakkuk the prophet, we're going to look at Habakkuk as a church, depending on when you listen to this here pretty soon in our minor prophet study. 
where he says, and in talking about his holy other, his eternality, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy one? Um, and then later on he says, you who are of pure eyes then to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So you're not only transcendent, holy other, but you're also holy pure. You cannot look at wrong and you're outside of it. And then Peter in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 16, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So God in his being, in his person, in his essence, he is all of those magnificent qualities, limitless, but he is all of those in perfection, in moral purity. God cannot do wrong. He will not use his ability, his knowledge to sin. And that then becomes the standard for us as his people, that we need to be holy. All of our capacities, all of our abilities, no matter how limited they are, not used in sinful ways, we need to be holy in our conduct. So, holiness is the first one. He is also righteous and just. Yeah, Ryan, so righteous and just. Um, this is that he always acts in accordance to what is both right and will always reward righteousness and punish sin. Um, there is this idea of righteousness measuring up. Um, and being, you know, he can in the verb form taking it to, to declare as righteous, um, and that's what he expects of us as his people. And will we measure up to that standard fully in this life? No. Um, however, there is an aspiration there to seek after and uh, seek to be righteous people because we are his people, and, and to kind of model that after him. Um, so some important verses and, and passages, you have like a Second Chronicles 12, uh, you have the, the princes of Israel and the king humbling themselves and saying that the Lord is righteous. Uh, Ezra 9, O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. Uh, in the New Testament, you have Second Timothy 4, 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then the psalmists uh, in multiple places, uh, Psalm 103, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 119, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Psalm 119, later, uh, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live and then a really important passage when you think about salvation is Romans 3, 21, 26, where Paul writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the ju be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. That's an awesome passage. It's such a good passage. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's one to write on your hearts and and, you and keep in in mind daily because you just see his righteousness, his in his justness, uh, just throughout, and um, the justification we can have, the righteousness that can be, you know, um, shared with us and expected of us. As Paul's writing it there to the Romans. Yep. Yeah. When you think about his righteousness, yes, he always does what is right, but what he expects is always right. Um, and what he has, the expectation that he puts on his people, on us, you know, husbands to love your wives, wives to honor and submit to your husband, you know, those are right expectations. God is not going to put an expectation on us that is outside of his standard of righteousness. And when we think about his righteousness as justice, think about God as a judge. He stands in that position of judgment, and he will always reward righteousness, always punish what is wrong and not measuring up to his standard. The hard thing for us is usually just not in our timing. Nope. And when we see injustices, and that's why Paul would write in the end of Romans 12, I believe, like, like vengeance is the Lord's. He is the one who will bring justice and all wrongs will be made right. God's righteousness and justice demands it. And I think a good application of that is when we stand in positions of authority, uh, whether that authority is at home as as a father for me and as a parent, and <coughs> not being unjust. If there are wrongs, those need to be cared for. Uh, um, whenever we find ourselves in positions of authority to model the righteousness and the justice of God. One of the things in the Minor Prophets and one of the, the burdens of the prophets is when he sees uh, the leaders and God's people and seeing God's people calling what is evil good and taking what is good and calling it evil. That that is a conf- uh, complete um, perversion of the righteousness of God, and and we leave that to the justice of God. He's also true, and um, he's described God is truth, his word is truth. Um, the sense that stable, reliable, firm, trustworthy, you know, we've, we use the idea of true. I'm not a construction guy, Ron, you are more so than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is that sense of trueness in terms of straightness, in terms of measuring it's true to the standard. And so he is true. He's truth. Um, he's reliable. The quality of a person who is completely self-consistent, they, God is true in the sense that he is sincere. He's not deceived. And um, in his nature, uh, Jeremiah 10.10 10, the Lord, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the everlasting King. And at his wrath, the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Of course, Jeremiah is contrasting Yahweh, the true God, with false gods. First John five twenty, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Titus 2, or 1, 2. 
Uh, we hope and we have in hope of eternal life, and our hope of eternal life, which is God who does not lie, that this eternal life He's promised before the ages began. And Jesus prays, John 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And then he says in verse 19, and for your sake I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Uh, but then also 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Um, and so there is no failing in God. His faithfulness is rooted in the fact that he is true. He's true to his character. He will never veer away from all of his perfections uh, no matter no matter when and no matter what is going and what a and, and of course that then carries over. We need to be, you know, I forget where it's written, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. You know, to be truthful, to be full of integrity, um truthfulness. God is love. Next yes, one. So God is love is the next one we're gonna look at. And this is just the kind of joyful self-determination that God has to reflect the goodness of his will and glory by meeting the needs of mankind, hmm. right? Like love is his decision to commit and devote himself to others. Um, and for us, love would be the decision to commit and devote ourselves, oneself, to another. Uh, and really we have the greatest act of good that God can do is to give of himself. And I was thinking about, um, you think about what our greatest need is, or was for many of us, uh, was salvation and was just a righteousness um, that we could never achieve on our own. And so God's plan for that redemption was to send himself. Like he didn't, um, I was listening to a, a pastor talk about missions and it wasn't just that God sent money. He didn't <laughs> send materials. He sent his son. Like he came himself um and so when you think about God as being love, you think like Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, that's a good word. Second Corinthians 13. <laughs> Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. First John 4, a uh, famous uh, passage regarding God as being love. God is love. Anyone who does not love God, or sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And then later in that chapter, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And then you have Jesus speaking in John 17, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And then if you go back into the Deut uh, Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, speaking of Israel, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then also famously, you know, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so you just have this embodiment of God as being love and it being displayed through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, for each of us and um, just providing that path to reconciliation 
through the love that he has uh, for his people. Yeah, and his people are marked by love, right? You'll know you are my disciples when you when you love. Yep. You know, and so, and I think this is important for us just to grasp the fact that God is love because how God loves is the motto for our love for other people. I think a lot of times it's very easy for us to measure or make the standard of our love the kind of love that we've received from other human beings or mm-hmm. the lack of love or I will I will love in so far that others will love that you love yeah. me, you know, and in the sense is a transactional thing yes. here. Um but our my measure of loving my wife, my kids, loving our church is not the love that I receive from any other human being, but God himself. And the greatest love that I can give another person is God himself. That is the greatest um, act of love and gift of love. Now, talking about also his goodness. So we've looked at you know, the fact that he is holy, he is righteous and just, he's true, he's love. God is also good. Um, when you think about something being good, I, I have a cup of coffee here, and it's a it's a good cup of coffee. Um, we'll watch a, a sporting event or I'll watch a baseball game. Oh, it's a good game. You know, you think about goodness, there's always a standard that is measured by. And so whenever it meets certain qualities, it is good. And so, for instance, um, God created the earth there in creation, and he saw things, and it was good. Like he, he created an apple, and it was good. And so, in other words, like that apple met all of the requirements of what makes up an apple in a sense, all right? And so he made trees, he made animals. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And so you think about when biblical writers call God good, they're thinking in general of all of these moral qualities, like he meets all of them. And so that prompts God's people to call him perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and his generosity moves them to call him merciful and gracious. You know, his mercy is his, is his goodness upon those that don't deserve it. There's, or, but there's a compassion and a sense of a need, like the Good Samaritan. There was a goodness and a mercy towards someone in need that met them in that need or gracious. There's goodness and favor unto those that are undeserving. And so his love is a good love. Um, and his, his mercy and his graciousness, Romans chapter 11, verse 22 to 20, 20 <laughs> to 22, um, you know, that is true. They were broken off because of their unbrief, talking about Israel. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness, the goodness of God. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. And I'll come back to this pairing. Severe toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Uh, when he was making himself known to, to Moses on Mount Sinai, he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. So all of the, I meet all of the perfect standard, all of that passes in front of, in front of Moses. 
The psalmist, Psalm 4145, the Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Psalm 106, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 86, for you, O Lord, you're good and forgiving. You are abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Um, But I come back to that little phrase in Romans 11. Note then the goodness or the kindness of and the severity of God. Um, that combination of God's goodness and severity, the severity of God is really rooted in the goodness of God. God's, the severity of his judgment um, is the rejection of his goodness. Um, Nehemiah chapter 9, they refused to obey talking about God's people. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you, O God, are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You didn't didn't forsake them. The psalmist just echoed the the steadfast love of God, the steadfast love of God, the steadfast love of God. Um, And he, he endures with sin. That is the overflow of his goodness. But for those that reject, when they reject God, and we think about those in our culture that turn away from God and reject God in the gospel, they are rejecting an abundant goodness of God. And the severity of God's justice is rooted in a lot of ways in the immeasurable goodness that he has provided. He was good in providing Jesus Christ. He was good in his steadfast mercy, the fact that they continued to live and experience the general goodness in their world. They will look back for those that die in rejection and suffer eternity in hell, away from the favor of God, will look back and recognize that the severity of God's justice and judgment was because of the immeasurable goodness of God. And God was good in extreme ways, and that shapes then the eternal punishment that is that is being experienced. So you have the divine goodness stands as a th- with with a severity of his judgment when his goodness is in fact scorned. And so you think about the goodness of God. Uh, We just did an interview with um, uh, one of our members, and he just talked about the gratefulness that he, that God had just developed in his over the course of his life and looking back and, you know, the thankfulness, the gratefulness, and just looking at the many blessings of the goodness of God and that having such a profound impact that he just wanted to turn that around and then be good. Mm-hmm. And you that shapes then the kind of good people that God's people need to be mm-hmm. to reflect the abounding and steadfast loyal love, the goodness and the kindness we need to be. We need to reflect God in this way, the mm-hmm. most kind, the goodest people here on this earth. Yeah. So, that's, that's why it's important to, <clears throat> excuse me, to give, 
time to to understanding these attributes of God, both these and the incommunicable attributes we've talked about in the previous episode, but just to understand better who God is, to better understand our relationship with him, what he has accomplished, um, and really to, to know him better in such a way that it just overflows out of us and into the world around us. And like, that's what we mean when we talk about 24 seven worship, right? Like that's, that's the kind of the crux of, 24 seven worship is that it's not, you're not thinking about it. It's just, it's happening yep. because you're living in awe and, and wonder and, um, and you're just living your life in worship, uh, which we talked about in the last episode. And so, um, I think we talked about what our response should, mm-hmm. should be to this. And we talked about mm-hmm. a little bit last episode, um, talking about, um, just kind of Paul's kind of moment of, uh, doxology at the end of Romans 11. I think I'll just go back there and yeah. just kind of walk through it just briefly. Um, so if you want to grab your Bibles, Romans 11, starting at verse 33, Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And think about it. Paul has just gotten done unfolding 11 full chapters of doctrine and implications and just understanding of what God has been doing. And he continues, he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. And we think about it. I I don't know that we can grasp the fullness of the depth of these attributes. Mm -hmm. Like that's the, the, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Yeah. And just be, you know, we talk about them here. This is such the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Don't ever think that I have a full grasp on the goodness of God. Amen. You know, we need to continue to come back to the fact and to explore and just meditate and grow in our understanding of his love, his holiness, you know, his, his, his all presence, his all knowing, his power, his goodness, his, all these things. Like we need to keep coming back to those things. And there's so many resources out there. Absolutely. Yeah. And just even understanding or, or acknowledging your limited finiteness, but not using that as a reason not to pursue these understandings. Yep. You know, there should still be this desire and he has given us his revelation through his word so that we can know him. Let's know him uh, and not just know about him. And so um, you think about though what Paul says here, like no one has known his mind. No one has been his counselor. You know, he is the ultimate authority in all things. There, like no one, no thing can offer him advice or counsel. Um, you know, he is the ultimate authority. No one can give a gift to him that would put God in debt to that individual. Like it's, you think about it, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills and everything else. You know, it's yep. just, so he is the source. It's from him. He is a sustainer. It's through him and the rightful end of everything that exists to him. And so, as Paul says, to him be the glory forever. There's no greater object of our attention and learning and study than God himself. Yeah. And and then he starts chapter 12. Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Your act of worship is to just just hand your life over. Use it for the glory of God. And uh, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, that we may be discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Yep. And it's for his glory. Who he is, that's right. And it's for our good. And it's the way to be in relationship with him. Yep. So in a way, just our 30 or so minutes talking about some of these qualities is woefully inadequate. Yeah. This is a lifelong pursuit. Yep. It's uh, a stimulus and a catalyst to, uh, to further your, your own exploration and, um, and study about just maybe one of these to uh, catapult into that. All right. Amen. All right. Thank you for your time listening. Hope this is encouragement to you. And until the next episode, uh, we wish you nothing but the best, God's best, his glory, your joy. God bless until the next time.